Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I get to welcome my friend, Brian. Brian, welcome back to the show, brother. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for inviting me back. So yeah, it wasn't too bad last time, huh? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Apparently, you were still interested in, in talking to me. So that's a good sign, right? <laughs> oh, so I should be the one questioned. It wasn't too bad last time. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I, I liked it, too. So thank you. I enjoyed <laughs> okay. it. Yes, of course. So, brother, uh, can you just catch us up on your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise since we last talked? I think it was like maybe a year or two ago or something like that. Oh, well, let's see. So, yeah, some big changes. So, for the last uh, decade, I was at Grace Church in Peoria, and that was just a wonderful decade for us. I thought that was the bell lap. thought that was kind of the uh, where the Lord would leave us. But then... Um, the the uh, the PCA the Bible believing branch of Presbyterianism the PCA uh, asked if I would lead the denomination so I'm doing that now and our official title is stated clerk so uh, I'm I'm back in uh, leadership administration which I was actually fleeing a decade ago after having been a president for of a of an institution for about thirty years uh, or there for thirty years president for twenty so now. Uh, Love the pastor, enjoyed being there, but accepted a call back into uh, into a leadership for the larger church. Wonderful, brother. Well, I joked with you. I'm like, I didn't know what a stated clerk was. And so I learned something new today. So that's cool. Uh, very yeah. cool. Well, yeah. can you uh, tell us about this new devotional, Daily Grace, 365 Daily Devotionals, Reflecting God's Unlimited Grace, why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received? Sure. Well, thanks for thanks for asking, and I'm glad for the opportunity. So, Daily Grace is uh, a, a daily devotional guide, and uh, it's a a scripture, some thoughts on how the grace of God flows through all of Scripture and into our lives to empower them, and uh, and then a little brief prayer at the end. So, it's it's really my my goal is to give people a little joy as they start their day. And uh, as we know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So as you see that grace thread throughout scripture to uh, believe that what God is doing is is reminding us in difficult times or easy, whatever it is, that uh, he is providing uh, a grace greater than our sin, beyond our deserving, beyond our planning, beyond our ability, and he's for us. And that gets me up, gets me going, and gives me the joy that is my strength. And hopefully, a little share that with us. So, you know, two minutes and uh, you have your daily grace. And that hopefully that that little dose of grace is preparation for the day. Amen, brother. Well, it's, it's very uh, well written and helpful and very practical. So I'm excited to uh, for our listeners to dig into it this year. Um, you know, you talk in the devotional about the indicative and the imperative. What, what exactly are those two things? Oh, great question. So, um, the indicatives uh, are who we are by the work of Christ. If you think about the way almost any New Testament uh, letter is constructed, uh, whether it's uh, the Apostle Paul or John or Peter, they spend the first half of the book roughly uh, saying, 
here's what God did in Christ. And then the second half of the book is, here's how you respond. Now, the wonderful aspect of the gospel that that represents is the books are not in reverse order, as though God were to say, now, listen, you get everything straightened up, and then Christ will love you and die for you and make you his own. No, he always says, no, here's who you are first by the work of Christ. And as a result, you you live the imperatives. Here are the things you should do in response. But I, I think of it, it's really the old, old pattern of the gospel in scripture. I mean, you even think about when God gave the law to his people, right? In the book of Exodus. And uh, he says, here's all these things you should do. But that's not the first thing he said. In what we call the prologue or the beginning of the 10 commandments, uh, what the Lord does is he says, by the way, I'm the God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Therefore, follow all these commands. Now, what he did not say was, you straighten up and fly right and follow these commands, and then I'll let you out of slavery. No, he says, I've redeemed you. You are my people. That's who you are. Those are the indicatives. You are mine. And therefore, follow me, walk this way. And and that knowledge that the whole Bible is constructed that way is uh, would be nice to remember every day we wake up. Uh, I think of that scary, scary verse in the New Testament. Be imitators of God. That's Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God. Oh, goodness, who's going to do this? And then it follows, as dearly loved children. So, yeah, th- there's the imperatives, really hard stuff. You know, be like God. Piece of cake, go ahead. You know, go, j- just be like God. Well, everybody would faint and or flee. But then God says, no, but remember, as my dearly loved children. So the imperatives are based on the indicatives, who you are. And the famous statement by that theologian called Herman Ritterboss, he said, the imperatives are based on the indicatives and the order is not reversible. And, you know, every every other place of life, the order reverses. Um, you do stuff uh, to get people's approval. You do stuff to get your wages. Uh, you do things as a condition of getting the benefit. But the gospel is the opposite. The gospel says, though I did not deserve it, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And therefore, I live for him. We live in response to what he has done. The imperatives, based on the indicative, and the order is not reversible. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, if you get the order wrong, you get the gospel wrong. So if you get the order wrong, you get the gospel wrong. And and you, you've, Dave, probably heard me say before, I mean, it yeah. changes every relationship in your life when you get the order right. I mean, there was a time that my wife and I kind of raised with a different understanding of how the gospel works, which was kind of a straighten up and fly right, and God love you for that, that we would say to our children something like, I'd say to my oldest son, I'd say, Colin, you're a bad boy because you did that. Mm. Now, it makes perfect sense and very common to say in this culture. But if you think about theologically, what did you say? You did a bad thing, therefore you are a bad person. And in which case, your identity, who you are, is based upon what you did. That's the opposite of the gospel. And as my wife Kathy and I came into an understanding of the grace of the gospel, we would actually say to my son something like, we'd say, Colin, don't do that. You're my son and I love you. I, I don't want who you are and our relationship to be based upon what you do. I want what you do to be based upon our relationship Mm. and our love for you. And the way we relate to our spouses can be the same thing. You know, I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm enough of a male of a certain generation that my heroes are either John Wayne or Harrison Ford, right? (laughs) And, you know, the great unmoved movers. And, and so what that means is if there's tension between my wife and me, my tendency is 
to get mad, but I can't do that because I'm a preacher. So I get real quiet, you know, <laughs> say, you know she'll, she'll figure out what she did, you know, but I'm treating her according to her actions. Mm. But according to scripture, she's an heir together with me of the grace of life. I'm to be relating to her on the basis of a covenant relationship, not on the condition of what she's done. And so are there things to work through? Of course, there are things to work through. But with respect and love and dignity based upon who she is, she's an heir together with me of the grace of life by the work of God. I relate to her as a, an eternal spouse, uh, a loved one by the grace of God. I relate to her that way. And because I love her, there are things to work out but I don't treat her according to her actions. I treat her according to the covenant of grace. Mm. And that's what the Bible is calling us to do with, with friends and family and kids. And, and it just changes every relationship when you relate to people based upon grace rather than on performance. Yeah, that's that's really good. I guess the follow-up question to that is how, how does that understanding help us to deal with uh, even conflict in, in our marriages or in friendship or Something like that. Well, and as I've said, it means still because you love someone, you have to still deal with the hard issues. But you, in conflict, deal with respect. Uh, I've, I've said at times, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor a long time. So I know if somebody's firing at me, upset about something, I know exactly what to do. At least I'm, what I'm tempted to do, <laughs> which is to fire right back or else undermine them so people won't believe what they're saying. But what if I actually believe that that person who's in conflict with me, who's upset with me, is a child of God, that Christ indwells them, that they are united to Christ and have his identity, then yes, are there things to work through? Yes. Matthew 18, I go to you privately. We work it out. We integrity talk about the things that we must, even the difficult things. If we can't work it out, let's bring somebody else in to help us. There's a process to go through, but it's out of a regard for you as a fellow image bearer of God who's united to Christ. And so uh, treating one another with gentleness and respect, even in times of conflict, why? Because I'm supposed to deal with you the way Christ deals with you. He has conflict with us sometimes too, (laughs) but always he will deal with us as those who are his own uh, children, uh, his brothers and sisters, children of God. And at the same time, those who, yes, need correction. But he remembers that our father who corrects us only disciplines those that he loves. And so we continue to deal graciously. So this, this grace of God, which is changing our relationships, changing the way we perceive ourselves when we don't do so well, is what I'm trying to do in daily grace is just say little snippet of grace every day. If I can just kind of start out, it's not conditional. It's not performance-based. This relationship I have with God, it's based on his mercy. How can I start with understanding that? as a way of beginning my day in grace and maybe facing some of the trials or conflicts or whatever down the road that um, I have a different heart toward because I remember God's heart toward me. That is, that is really good. Really good. What are, what are some practical ways to withhold criticism of others and instead, uh, you know, display God's grace to others? Well, um, of course we're, we're told in the scriptures uh, not to revile other people, to give charitable interpretation to what they say. Not to uh, not to spread gossip. By the way, not to listen to gossip, which is awful hard if you're a kind of a, a social media uh, partaker. But to say what what does God require of us? Uh, he requires that we treat one another with the dignity that we deserve because we are in Him, not because of our performance. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll you know what what does Peter remind us over and over again? 
we are to always be give always be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And even when there are those in the church that are oppose us, what what did Paul teach? Gently um, teach those who oppose you. Why? So the Holy Spirit may bring them to. It's not your job to bring them to repentance. So the Holy Spirit may bring them to repentance. And we remember that it was the kindness of God that led us to repentance. So I'm not talking about just some sort of mishy-mashy, never say what's true, but it is saying what is true with gentleness and respect. It's being so confident of our defense in God that we don't have to tear down another person in order to win our case. And it's the culture, of course, where ridicule and sarcasm and cynicism are what often win the day. And we have to remind ourselves, cynicism is not the sign of great intellect. (laughs) You know, um, sarcasm is not the way that Christ would speak to his family. Now, granted, there were times that Christ would speak of enemies in such a way that he would make their position uh, look ridiculous. But it was so his children and his brothers and sisters would hear the gospel true. And um, those same ones who he spoke sarcastically about, he died for, by the way. So let's remind ourselves before we just speak sarcastically of brothers and sisters, because they don't deserve for us to speak well of them. Uh, Christ died for them. And what does that require of me then as I treat them? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Um, you know, and and we were talking about, you know, overlooking even offenses and those kind of things. I think that is so misunderstood in in the church like you know when when my wife and i have an issue it doesn't mean you know maybe i'll overlook it in that in that moment but we'll come back to it later because maybe she's upset and you know since i know my wife i know you know that the time to you know have a conversation and the time to you know not the time to sit my lip and <laughs> and the time to you know, not, and, and that even there is, I think, especially for us guys is really hard because yeah. it requires us to have patience and self-control, which as we both know, is a fruit of the, of the work right. of the spirit of, of God in our lives. And so, um, yeah, I think biblically, bi- biblically balanced Christianity, the BBC, right. Biblically balanced Christianity, you know, can take it on the chin quite a bit. People make fun of it, but It is saying what the scriptures say. And so, yes, love overlooks a multitude of sins. That's in the Bible, believe it or not. Love overlooks a multitude of sins. And you don't do it to come back to it later, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, what? Uh, Love keeps no record of fault. (laughs) So you don't just keep it to bring it up later. Um, But at at the same time, we recognize the, the, the wounds of a friend, right, are what are meant to heal and help us. So it's, it's this balance of if I'm speaking even harshly to you, if I'm in a corrective mode, why is that? It is out of love for your future good. It's not just to get back. Revenge is the Lord's. I'm not, I'm not just trying to win the argument or, or hurt another person because they hurt me. Even if harshness is required, and we know at times those whom uh, the scriptures uses as our example, um, speak with great harshness about God's enemies. But, but again, the goal is to bring the fruit of repentance. It, it is not just to damage another person. Mm, that's so good. How do we put on gospel glasses as we read scripture? <laughs> why? Why you've looked at daily grace there, Dave. And, uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a willingness to look at any portion of scripture 
uh, with your gospel glasses on. And uh, you say, what are, what are gospel glasses? Well, if you think of those two lenses and you think, well, each one represents a question as you're looking at the Bible with your spectacles on. And, and one question is, what does this text tell me about the nature of God who provides redemption? And the other uh, lens is the other question. What does this text tell me about me? who needs redemption. So <laughs> what does this text tell me about God who provides grace? What does this text tell me about me who needs the grace of God or humanity in some way? You know, if I would just look at any text, however legalistic it may seem just unto itself, and I'll say, what's this telling me about God? What's this mm-hmm. telling me about me? I'm going to discover the gospel. Like you, you just take a command, you shall not steal. And you say, well, where do you get the gospel out of that? You know, it just says, don't steal. Well, I, I put on my gospel glasses. Okay. So I asked the question, looking at this text, what does this tell me about God who says don't steal? Well, he values property. He values relationships. Um, he, he, he values the way in which he maintains us and doesn't want us to hurt others. What does a holy command teach me about the nature of God? Well, ultimately teaches me that God is holy. But if I also understand the command, you shall not steal, means you shall never Never take anything that is not your own, not big, not little. You shall not even take another person's reputation by speaking ill of them without cause. You shall never take anything that is not your own. If I really understand the command, I understand God is holy, but what do I understand about me? I understand I'm a thief. (laughs) God is holy and I'm a thief. There's a problem here. There's a problem I cannot fix. Who has to fix it? God fixes it. The law says the Apostle Paul was the schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Ultimately, when I look at any passage of Scripture with my gospel glasses, I'll say, here's what this tells me about God. Here's what this tells me about me. But God is making a way to fix this gap, this problem between the two of us. And always, if I will put on my glasses, I won't just see moral performance, you know, just be a better person, just straight up and fly right. Uh, Always God is going to be saying, you cannot be as holy as I, but you are not your redeemer. I've made a way for you to come to me. And always the scriptures are pointing that way. If we will put on our gospel glasses and not just read for behavior control, which is, you know, our temptation is just to say, I need to read this to find out how to be a better person. I, one of, one of my running partners, one time, uh, not a believer, a man I, I, on my jogging path, he and I ran together many, many days and he would say, well, I should go to church more. You know, why, why should you, well, you know, at church, you learn to be better. And I thought, well, what if you didn't believe that was the goal of church? The goal of church is not just to teach you to be better. The goal of the church is to teach you you're a sinner in need of a savior. (laughs) That's, that's a more redeeming goal. That's a better goal. That's a life-saving goal as opposed to a performance goal whereby we were all fall short. Mm. That's really, really good. Really good. You know, uh, everybody or everybody around this time of year, we all make a commitment, you know, or right around the beginning of the year or maybe just before it to, you know, read through our Bibles and maybe somebody listening or many people listening to this feel like, you know, they're failing in in that commitment to read read their Bibles. What what would you say to them? <laughs> You've been reading my stuff again, Dave. Um, oh, oops. <laughs> 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 but I love it. Thank you. Yeah. I I, I think that the, the New Year's resolutions, you know, are, are hard for us at times. We all mean well and start well, perhaps, for the first day or two or three. And then, of course, um, we are not 
the people we hoped to be. And it, depending on the nature of the resolution, either we feel defeated ourselves or fear facing the frown of God. You know, we still haven't done the things we were supposed to do. We haven't straightened up yet. And I think how many of us make the resolve to, to read the Bible more every day or to pray every day or to be more consistent in our worship. And we sometimes call those the, the means of grace that God is uh, using to help us in our walk with him. But too many Christians, the reason they don't keep those resolutions to read scripture more or pray more regularly or be more regular in worship is, is they end up using the means of grace as the means to grace. They think that, well, I need to get to get some of that grace stuff. What do I need to do to get God to not be nice to me or to do? And so we use these Christian disciplines prayer and scripture reading as, as bribes, right? I'm going to bribe God to be nice to me. I'll, I'll do this awful thing. I'll read the Bible. You know, the longer the passage, the more difficult, the better, because you get more points that way. And so we'll read the Bible. Listen, if the reason that you are reading the Bible or praying or going to worship is to bribe God to be nice to you, to keep the ogre in the sky satisfied, listen, you're going to fail at some point and you're just going to want to stay away from the ogre in the sky which means you're going to get more and more distant from those means of grace. Hmm. But what if we didn't think that the means of grace were a ways that we were gaining grace, but ways that we were rejoicing what's already ours, right? So what happens when you pray? We, we, we already know Romans 8, 26 says, you know, even when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep to utter. And God who knows the mind of the spirit acts in such a way that all things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And what does that mean? It means God is in essence bending the universe to accomplish what is good for my life. All things, past, present, big, little, all things are being worked together for the good of one who is seeking him in prayer, doesn't even know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit is making it right before God so that the universe is being bent. I, I I think of it, I used to love watching my my mother decorate cakes. And you know how you glop all that icing into an icing syringe? And then at the other end of the syringe, there's that decorator tip where she made beautiful designs. And I think sometimes my prayer where I don't even know how to pray, that's the glop that's going in God's syringe. <laughs> and And the Holy Spirit is the divine tip, the decorating mechanism of God, where I'm just I'm just doing glop prayers. And what God is doing is working all things together for good. I mean, that's better than a pony. That's better than a bicycle for Christmas. Mm. And it's the privilege of believing that God has been so gracious to us that he will work everything for good, for our eternal good in this life, even when we don't know how to pray. Mm. And that's the great grace that's unfolding that was first shown to us by the way in which Christ provided himself for us. It's just everyday grace. And that's why this, this book, Daily Grace, is just a little, a little snippet of the grace of God that's unfolding in all the scripture. If you go all 365 days, you're getting more than a snippet, but just every day, beginning with a little bit of the grace of God and knowing that as we are gaining that grace, we're gaining in strength, not, not bribing God to be nice to us, but just feasting on the bread of the gospel as we are delighting in the daily grace of God. Mm, really good, brother. Really good. Well, where can people go to find out more about you either on your website? I know you have a radio program. Uh, tell us where we can find you on social media and all those places. 
Yes, Dave, thank you. You you can go to unlimitedgrace.com. So unlimitedgrace.com. Uh, if the broadcast uh, radio program is not in your area, you can still get it streaming. And of course, you can get the uh, the book Daily Grace on unlimitedgrace.com. Or if you forget that, you can just go to a, a, a little organization I've heard about that sells books on the web. And what what book, what organization might that be, Dave? Amazon or... <laughs> oh, Amazon. Yes, yeah, it might be there on Amazon. Daily Grace <laughs> is the name of the book. And it's just a, a, a devotion for every day. Give me two minutes and let your heart soak in grace before you start the day. So Daily Grace is the book on unlimitedgrace.com or Amazon. Yeah, well, brother, just as we wrap away, wrap up this conversation, do you have any uh, takeaways for our listeners or those who will watch this? Well, I want people just to learn that they can feast on the bread of the gospel, right? And you don't have to bribe God. He He already gave His Son for you. He doesn't need He doesn't need more from you in terms of gaining His love. But He's loved you so much that walking with Him can be the joy of your life. And when you have strength to do that, because you know he's for you, he's on your side, he's in your corner, he's your advocate, he's walking with you. Uh, that's the daily grace that gives us strength for the walk with him. Wonderful, brother. Well, everybody, we've been talking today with my friend, Brian Chapel about his devotional, Daily Grace, 365 Daily Devotionals, Reflecting God's Unlimited Grace. It's a, it's a great mm-hmm. devotional. You'll enjoy it. I encourage you to pick it up. Thank you so much, Brian, for your time and for your ministry and all that you're doing for God's glory. Thank you always, Dave. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.